At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Las Vegas for Just Cuts Hoops with myself, Greg Apes Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family of Podcasts. We've got a tremendous podcast coming up for you as this is the Atlantic 10 Preview Edition. So what this means is that I won't be doing the news and notes of college basketball from Friday. Those are either going to be done tomorrow or they might be actually done 48 hours from now because I might have another conference preview for you guys tomorrow. But that said, the next non-conference preview edition podcast, we're going to tie up all those loose ends. But we've got a tremendous podcast coming up as in segment number two, one of the best in the business, Kevin Sweeney. He does great work over at Sports Illustrated. He's going to be taking a look at all these teams in the conference with me. We're going to be taking a look at the movement. We're going to be taking a look at what we should be bullish slash bearish on, just how things did not go the way of a lot of these teams in the conference last year, and so much more. That is going to be great insight in segment number two. In the final segment, I'm going to give you guys my projected order finish for the conference, and in segment number one, we're going to be taking a look at the trends and just the styles of play in general that we have in the Atlantic 10. And if you do have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at unit underscore D1. Keep in mind, Lurzium, they mean does not matter, so as per usual, please send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you are able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. All the loose ends have been taken care of. Let's get down to business and let's take a look at an Atlantic 10 that really doesn't have a lot of up-tempo teams. You had no team really rank within the top 70 in terms of possessions per game. George Washington under first-year coach Chris Caputo, they cranked things up. They were right around 72nd in the conference in terms of possessions per game, but really nobody else was playing much faster than that. Pretty much everyone else was really outside the top 80, top 85 range, and you've got plenty of slugs in this conference, as it is a conference that typically rewards defense, Dayton, Chief among them, top 25 in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. A team that was 352nd in all of college basketball in terms of possessions per game. You don't have as many demonstrative outliers. You've got a lot of teams like a St. Joe's, like a LaSalle, that these are teams that they play at a middle tempo. You're going to find a team like a Davidson that they always play relatively slowly and things do lean a little bit more to playing slowly rather than quickly, like Richmond, 263rd in the country in terms of total possessions per game. You do find a lot of that within the conference, but I mean, a lot of these teams, they're relatively middle of the road. They're not going to get demonstratively fast. They're not going to get demonstratively slow. What was really killing this conference last year is that they just didn't have a lot of scoring in general. 
with a lot of these teams. George Washington was able to put up points, but that's just because they were playing games with a lot of possessions in general. For a team like George Washington, in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, they were 82nd, so they were able to crank things up a little bit, but a lot of your top contenders, like at Dayton, they were outside the top 85 in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. I like what Duquesne was able to do. They were 75th in the country with this regard, but you did see a little bit of a fall-off in terms of a lot of these offenses, which is why you did have just the one bid for this league in the NCAA tournament. That went to VCU, a team that they played their very demonstrative style of being able to generate a bunch of turnovers. They were one of the top defensive teams in all of college basketball, but that goes by the wayside as you did see a couple coaching changes within the conference. Kim English, he's no longer over there at George Mason. Now you've got Tony Skin, who's a very well-traveled assistant and a guy that was actually on that 2006 Final Four team taking over the reins. And then you've got Ryan Odom coming in from Utah State, which I mean, for Ryan Odom, he is not going to be playing that havoc style of defense that we typically see out of VCU where they try to generate 100 million billion steals, but that is going to be of intrigue. And as a result, when it came to this conference, it did make taking a look at the betting lines very interesting. And if you just took a look at the way to be able to bet this conference, fading them out of conference was very good because this was probably the biggest flops of a conference they were going to find in all of college basketballs. You did have UMass be able to cover quite a few games before injuries really took hold on them, and injuries were a big theme with regards to this conference as well. It really robbed Dayton last season. St. Louis has dealt with it for many, many years, but they were just a flopperoni in general, and your one team that made the NCAA tournament in VCU, they were actually your worst team out of conference in terms of against the spread record. They went 3-10-1 against the spread, and then you had big old disappointment in Loyola Chicago, go 3-9 against the spread, and you had some of the worst teams just against the spread in all of college basketball within this conference. You did have a couple of nice surprises, like Fordham was able to go 8-5 against the spread out of conference, and that lingered in conference where they went 12-8 against the spread, and you did see a lot of reversals with a lot of these teams. Like I mentioned, VCU, they were terrible out of conference, in conference, 15-6 and six against the spread. Richmond, who they were halfway decent in non-conference games. Richmond went 7-5-1 and one against the spread out of conference. In conference, they went a very paltry 5-15 and 15 against the spread. Loyal Chicago, once again, they just stunk it up. And then UMass, your best team against the spread out of conference. In conference, 7-12 and 12 against the spread. So what you could tell was that last year, there were a lot of teams that were very much equals. And when a team was able to ascend out of conference, they just got a little bit too built up because with a lot of these teams being relatively on the same playing surface, if you were able to get some of these underdogs, it would provide it a lot of value. You take a look at how these teams performed as underdogs, and quite a few of these teams did a relatively okay job. George Washington was chief among them, 11-7 and against the spread outside the conference. You did have a couple teams that they just didn't find themselves in this role very much like St. Louis and Dayton. They went and combined 2-6 and six against the spread as underdogs, but they just really didn't find themselves in this role very much. But a lot of your generic teams like Richmond, Davidson, Duquesne, they were about 50-50 against the spread as an underdog. You had St. Joe's be able to go 12-9 against the spread as an underdog. Meanwhile, when these teams were favored, it was a little bit more rough for them. Fordham was able to beat up on a lot of the bad teams within the conference along St. Joe's. St. Joe's 8-4 against the spread as a favorite. Fordham 13-6 against the spread as a favorite. But then you had Loyal Chicago. Okay, they covered two out of their 13 games as a favorite. Richmond, 6-13-1 against the spread as a favorite. Rhode Island, 2-9 against the spread as a favorite. And 
man, you can tell that a lot of the newer coaches, they're having a little bit of a rough time with it within the conference as well. If you take a look at the entirety of the season, we had two teams that did very good against the spread. St. Joe's, Fordham, both went 20 and 13 against the spread. Loyal Chicago was one of your worst against the spread teams in all of college basketball. 9-22 against the spread. Just a case where things could not have gone any worse for them in their first year in the Atlantic 10. Richmond goes 12-20-1 against the spread. Out of conference, they've had a lot of transition, and that was a big thing. The transitionary teams, they had a rough go of it. UMass, under first-year coach Frank Martin, 4-16-1 against the spread. You had Rhode Island, first-year coach in Archie Miller, 12-19 against the spread overall. So that was a little bit less than savory for them. And as a matter of fact, if you take a look at what Loyal Chicago did and how bad they were against the spread, you were the teams that were worse than them against the spread last season. Georgia State, Tulsa, along with UW-Green Bay. That is the end of the list. So that was relatively brutal. And then in terms of just a scoring standpoint, this was a little bit more of an under-conference in a college basketball landscape where we saw a lot of overs. Unders did reign supreme in this conference with four different teams playing at least 60% of their games under the total. VCU, for obvious reasons, won the best defenses in all of college basketball. 21 unders to 14 overs. George Mason, 21 unders to 12 overs. Dayton, 22 unders to 12 overs. Davidson, 21 unders to 12 overs. Really, other than VCU, these were very slow, controlled teams. Meanwhile, your more up-tempo teams, they were playing a lot more overs, like George Washington, 19 overs to 12 unders. Fordham, under their new coaching regime, they've actually played a little bit more up-tempo. As a result, they were able to get you 19 overs to 14 unders. So that was something to take note of. And then a lot of these other teams, they were closer to 50-50. LaSalle, 17 overs to 17 unders. Then you'd have like St. Bonaventure, 15 overs to 17 unders. Same goes for St. Louis, Loyal Chicago, 16 overs, 14 unders, and a push. So nothing overly demonstrative there. And when it came to actual conference play, you did see a little bit more of a tick up to the over. A lot of these unders, they did come in conference play, but you did have a couple big outliers. Davidson, they played just five out of their 15 games within the Atlantic 10 over the total. George Mason and Dayton, once again, two of the slower teams. They both played either 13 or 14 unders compared to just seven overs. So both of them hit north of 65% of their games within the conference to the under as well. Meanwhile, you take a look at non-conference play and well, it was a whole bunch of teams playing a whole bunch of unders as you had Rhode Island go 7-4 and four to the over, Fordham 8 overs, 5 unders, and then you had a bunch of teams like Davidson, George Mason, Dayton all play between 54.5 and 61.5% of their games to the under. So it was a conference that they just really had a little bit of a tough time being able to put the ball in the basket. You had quite a few teams that shot it okay from three. Like Duquesne was a top 50 team in terms of three-point shooting percent. Davidson had a big fall off from when they were able to make the NCAA tournament a few seasons ago, but you had some decent three-point shooting. Not a lot along the interior. A lot of sloppy play, like with Loyal Chicago, for example. Lots of turnovers killed them. St. Joe's is a team that they tend to have quite a few turnovers as well, but they do bring back a lot. Their backcourt as well for St. Louis just lackadaisical defense in general was absolutely killing them. So it's going to be very interesting to see what teams are going to be able to bulk up on the interior, what teams are going to be able to hit the glass. It's probably going to bode very well for them. But don't just take my word for it as Kevin Sweeney. He does an absolutely amazing job taking a look at the landscape of college basketball. He's over there at Sports Illustrated, and he's based out there in the city of Chicago, which is where, obviously, Loyola Chicago is. He is going to be joining me next. We are going to be taking a look at all the teams in this conference, all 15 of them, looking at the rosters, looking at what went right, what went wrong, 
wrong for them and some of the moves that they have made this offseason. That comes up next right here on Coast Coast Hoops with Ryan Selfgren, Hoops Peterson, now part of the Pizza Family Podcast, and length and preview this. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. And we're back here in Lovey Las Vegas for Coast Cousins with myself, Greg Apes Peters, and now a part of the Visa Family a Podcast. This is the Atlantic 10 Preview Edition, and it is great to be joined by one of the best in the business, Kevin Sweeney. He does absolutely tremendous work over at Sports Illustrated, taking a look at the great game of college basketball. He's based out there in the great state of Illinois, which is right around one of the main teams in the Atlantic 10, Loyola Chicago. They will be interesting. We'll hit upon them in a few minutes, but Kevin does a great job just covering the entire landscape of this great sport. And you're able to follow him on Twitter at CBB underscore Central. And Kevin, it's always great to get you aboard. Thank you. Appreciate you having me as always, Greg. Appreciate you joining me. And Kevin, we will get to Loyola Chicago in a few minutes because I think they're one of the most interesting teams in the conference. But I think we've got to go with this team first. A lot was expected of them last year. They did not deliver. And now a lot of those pieces are gone. And I am talking about St. Louis. They had the leader in the country last year to assist for game in Yuri Collins. He's now gone. Heck, a lot of those pieces that we were expecting to be so good last year for St. Louis are gone. 
feels like it's really Gibson Jimerson of a lot of other guys that are back in full for this team. What's your overall read on St. Louis? Because offense was pretty solid for them last year. It was a defense that just completely killed them, in my opinion. I mean, talent was not the problem. That was a team that probably should have been better than what they were with the talent they had in that roster. It just never kind of came together. You know, this is a big year for Travis Ford. I think there was a lot of people that felt like they should have cut ties with him after the season that they had. They didn't go that route. I think this year will be a pressure year. They still have talent. You know, Jimerson, you mentioned, big-time player, probably one of the best players in the Atlantic 10, but he needs some help. You know, this has been a not-great offseason. They got older up front with Tim Dalger and, and Bradley as a Wiro, assuming he's eligible. Those guys, I think, are capable starting caliber guys, but they've got a hold the point guard spot. Sean Medley is a guy that I think will have to step into a big role. I haven't seen him a ton, but as a freshman, obviously, that's a lot to put on him. So they need as much help as they can get here from, from some of these unproven guys in the backcourt to help Jimerson out and what should be a big year for for Ford and Co. Absolutely. It should be a big year for them. And I did mention it, Kevin, you are out there in the great state of Illinois. You do a great job of following Loyal Chicago and much was expected for them last year when they came into the Atlantic 10. They were just not able to deliver. In my opinion, turnovers were really the kryptonite for this team, but they've done a good job of adding pieces in the offseason. Desmond Watson, Comes in from within the conference at Davidson. Dame Edelkun, probably mispronounced his name, but he comes in from Dartmouth. He was a rock solid double figure scorer. Greg Dolan, he was doling out buckets over at Cornell. Patrick Mwamba comes in for Oral Roberts. It is very much a new look team. Guys like St. Thomas and company just weren't able to deliver for Loyola Chicago last year. They're turning the page. You're looking to a lot of smart kids from the Ivy League this year. What is your overall thoughts on Loyola Chicago? Because they read to me middle of the conference sort of team. Yeah, I mean, look, like I, I think there was this narrative out there last year that Loyola moved up to the A10 and couldn't hang. To me, that's not true. Like to me, Loyola moved up to the A10 and had a bad team. Like this was a bad team in the A10. There's a bad team in the Valley, Mountain West, you know, the Horizon League. No matter where they were, Loyola was a bad team. Their coaching staff would say the same thing, right? They didn't have enough ball handling. Their transfers, for the most part, were busts. Sheldon Edwards was a miss in a spot that they needed him to be good. Bryce Golden was a disaster. Like, you know, everything that could go wrong did. On the other hand, they did kind of find some building blocks. Ben Schweiger's a really good player. Or Ben Schweiger, excuse me. Ryan Schweiger, Ben Schweiger, they were not related. Ben had a really good freshman year. I think he has a chance to be really, really good. Phil Alston, at times, looked like one of the best players in the A-10. They need him to be that consistent presence. But this team needed to get bigger, more athletic, and get more shooting. And they addressed all those needs. Now, will it be enough? We'll see. I think I agree with you that mid-pack feels like the safe place to peg them. But it wouldn't be surprising to me if they wind up cracking into that top four conversation when all said and done, because they're going to be an older team. Adela Kuhn should really solidify the front court for them. Guy who was top 30 in block rate in the country at Dartmouth can pass and I think really fits how they want to play. And just one other guy to mention, I think, is Miles Rubin, uh, top 150-ish recruit out of Simeon in Chicago. This is a big deal to sign him. He was he, He's arguably... You know, I watched a lot of these kids last summer. Maybe the best big man going to a non-Power 5 school in the country. I mean, he is a really, really good recruit for them. He's skinny. I'm not totally sure how much he'll play this year, but I think he has a chance to get on the floor immediately and really impact the game defensively with his ability to block shots. And I do think that there has been a nice haul brought in by Loyal Chicago, and I do think that this is going to be a team of intrigue entering into the season. As joining me on the show, we do have our good friend Kevin Sweeney, does an absolutely amazing job. Take a look at the landscape of college basketball. And after they made the NCAA tournament two years ago, 
This was another team that was a disappointment in Davidson as Bob McKillop, his son, Matt, he took over the reins. And I mean, for Bob McKillop, he was there for 30 years. This was the first time the team was at or below 530 years. So, I mean, that was a shocker. And now they have to adopt a life without Foster Lawyer. Angelo Breezy comes in from Villanova, former top 200 recruit. They bring in someone like a Jarvis Moss. So they certainly have brought in some pieces. What's your overall read on Davidson? Because clearly with Matt McKill up there, I mean, he comes from a really good bloodline, but at the same time, you just can't expect him to be what Bob McKillop was. That would be unreasonable. But at the same time, I think that this is a big turning point year for Davidson now that it is year number two under the regime of Matt McKillop. Menenga, he's gone as well. He's off to the NBL in Australia to play professional. A huge blow, obviously. A very impactful player for them was you know a huge piece of that front court. So to lose him and Foster Lawyer the same spring at a job where it's just very difficult to take transfers. I know they took Connor Kashera last year, and they took, as you mentioned, Jarvis Moss this year. But this is not a place where you can kind of easily flip the thing. I mean, you have to take kids from high academic schools. You can't take grad transfers. They don't have any graduate programming. So there's a lot here on Angelo Brizzy up uh, at the point guard spot. I do think Grant Huffman will have a nice year. But man, like, I just think it's going to be really hard. I think this is a team that I would pencil in in that bottom five. Again, it's Davidson. The floor, I think, is relatively high. Matt McKillop is not a bad coach. I know he's he's not his dad, right? But I don't think he showed anything to say, oh, this is, this is a disaster. But... I'm just not sure talent-wise they have enough in Los Angelo Brizzy winds up being really good. He struggled quite a bit when he was at Villanova. So we'll see there. This, to me, feels like a bottom-tier team in the league. Yeah, for Davidson, it certainly is not what they have been in past years, that is for sure. But this is also a team that is not what they have been in past years. And that's a positive because Fordham for so long was terrible. Last year was the second time in their 28 years as an Atlantic 10 member in which they had a winning record. They're 25 wins, second most in their 119-year history. Now, they lose their top two scores. Jarius Quinsenberry, Khalid Moore. Both of these guys combined to average about 32.5 points per game. They're out of the fold. But Abdul Simbilia coming back in the fold is big. Antrell Charlton, he's a just statue suffer in general. Kyle Rose is able to give you some scoring. Will Richardson was able to emerge shorts back half the season. They bring in Jafat Metter, who comes in from UT San Antonio as well. I'm not sure what your read is on this Fordham team. I don't know if they can quite duplicate 25 wins, but at the same time, I really like what is being built here, and Fordham feels like a program that is finally trending upward. I mean, the culture was just a complete 180 uh, in terms of the competitiveness, the toughness, the appreciation. I just think you can't say enough good things about the mindset that Keith Ergo has instilled in this place from a very from, from the start of taking this job. I mean, he's done a tremendous job. Now, that said, like, there's no question he feasted on the weakest day time in a long time and the worst non-conference schedule in the country to get to 25 wins. And now you lose, as you mentioned, Moore and Quisenberry, two really important players, and didn't do a ton in the portal. I mean, they got Josh Rivera, who I think could be their starting four-man, good player, long, athletic kid, but... I'm just not totally sure how they're going to score without a pretty big-time year from Will Richardson. Charlton, Kyle Rose, those guys are really good defenders, connectors. They're not leading scorer types. So 
they're going to have to really double down on defense and physicality. They played a lot of street fights last year. I think that's going to have to continue. I'm a believer to a certain extent, but I think if you look at their Ken Palm number from a season ago, I think that tells the truth more than the win total. I think water finds its level a bit. Yep, no doubt about it. I certainly don't think that we are going to see Fordham go back to being the dregs of the league. 25 wins, trying to duplicate that. I don't think that that is going to be in the cards either, but really do like what they're building there. I also like what Duquesne has been able to build as well as for Duquesne, they are going to be returning quite a few of their top guys. Sadie Grant, 15 and a half points. He was able to do a nice job shooting about 40% from three-point range. They do lose a little bit down low. Someone like an Austin Rotroff is out of the fold, but Andre Severstov, who comes in from Georgia Southern, he's a very rock-solid player. Now, the, the brothers in Fusani and Asan Drame, they didn't necessarily ascend the way that I thought they were going to at LaSalle last year. They come in. I think that they've got a little bit of upside as well. All in all, I take a look at this Duquesne team, and I think there's a lot of upside with them after two years ago. They bottomed down and really had a nice renaissance here last year. Yeah, I mean, this was kind of left for dead. A lot of people thought Keith Dambrock should have been done after that bottom-out year. He gets another shot, rebuilds it, and just did a tremendous job. You know, again, can they match what they did a season ago? I think it's probably a little bit more realistic than Fordham because, as you said, they really added. I mean, Safrasov, the Drame Twins – Dusan Mahorchich as well, one of the most well-traveled men in the history of college basketball. <laughs> I mean, they are deep up front, and they have two tremendous guards, Grant and Clark, two of the better guards in the league. That's a winning recipe. So, you know, critical for, for, for them to finally have some roster continuity. That's been a problem under Dambrot. You know, I really like the look of this team, and I think a lot of people will pick them top four. I think that's a reasonable assessment. I'm not sure they have the at-large upside. They've done a really nice job of kind of fortifying what was already a, a pretty strong roster. No doubt about it. And our good friend Tristan Freeman is very happy about that. As joining me on the show, we do have Kevin Sweetie. He does an amazing job taking a look at the game of college basketball over at Sports Illustrated. And one of the more befuddling teams in all of college basketball, that'd be St. Joe's because I mean, it's been a topsy-turvy last few seasons for them. They were able to pick up some wins towards the back half of last season. It did feel like there was a little bit of upside there, but they have lost so many players due to the transfer portal in past years that they've really just had a tough time in general being able to build a lot of chemistry. Someone like a Lynn Greer was absolutely tremendous for them last season, but the rebounding was a little bit all over the place for the St. Joe's team as well. They really haven't added a lot in the transfer portal with the Billy Lang era in general. It just feels like it's been very up and down, and it's been very sporadic. I thought that they were going to make more moves in the offseason. I'm not sure how you view the St. Joe's team, but I felt like if they would have added a little bit more in the transfer portal, the team would have had a little bit more of a chance to ascend, but they have been surprisingly silent here in the offseason. I mean, talent-wise, I still think they're one of the more impressive in the league. I mean, especially in the backcourt. Like, Lynn Greer and Eric Reynolds, those are dudes. Like, those dudes could play anywhere in the country. Athletic, quick. I mean, even some of the bench guards, like Christian Winborn. I mean, that's a guy who can really get downhill in terms of his explosiveness, his speed. Like, he is an X factor. As you said, inside, a bit more of a concern. Hopefully, you know, Regier Fleming's a guy they're very excited about. He's more of like a four-man traditional pick-and-pop. They need to put weight on. Christy Santoko, who is originally committed to Providence, a seven-footer. He redshirted last year. He's a guy that maybe they can rely on a little bit more on the interior. But this is going to be a finesse-oriented team. They've got a ton of really talented guards. DeGiro Haskins is a guy who's really, really talented coming in as well. They have the pieces to be, in my mind, like a top four to five team in this league. I'm not sure they'll get there because, you know, I don't have a ton of faith in Lang. And I, and I also think that they're not necessarily the most balanced team in the world. I, I just think that 
you know, when you get to 50-50 games against a Mark Schmidt, potentially even, you know, a Keith Dambrot, obviously, maybe even Keith Thurgo, I think it's going to be tough sledding for, for, for Billy Lang. But I think talent-wise, this team is, is really intriguing, and they've got backcourt you really want to see for a team to contend. Yep, they do have the top-end talent. Do worry a little bit that they don't have a ton on their bench. And, I mean, that was the issue for, say, Bonaventure last year. They had a pretty nice starting five. They had absolutely no depth whatsoever. It does feel like a man that you just mentioned, Mark Schmidt, though, he now has a little bit more to work with. Someone like a Chad Venning last year was able to step up in a big way, averaging 12.5 points, 5.5 boards, was able to do a solid job down low. Now you add in there Micah Adams-Woods, who was averaging darn near 10 points per game over at Cincinnati. Charles Pride, a guy that has averaged 15-plus points per game throughout his career. Noel Brown wasn't the world's biggest contributor at George Washington, but adding another big body down low, that's big. With St. Bonaventure, they had to replace 99.9% of the scoring that they had from the 2021-22 season last year. It clearly did not go well, but returning guys like Kyrell Luch, Jan Farrell and company, and now adding Micah Adams-Woods, I think that this program is ready to ascend once again. Potentially the MVP of the offseason, not just at Bonaventure, but in the Atlantic 10, is assistant coach Dana Valentine, who was hired to play Steve Kern, who went to George Mason, came from Putnam Science Academy and delivered three studs. He delivered Adams-Woods, he delivered Charles Pride, he delivered Dwayne Thompson, reclassified 2024 kid, play on the wing, play the four, really, really talented. That completely changed their their team. I mean, obviously to have those three guys, have Daryl Banks back, nearly 15-point-a-game guy, have some of the starters from last year and Kyra Luke and Moses Flowers back in maybe smaller roles. I mean, there's there's a lot to like here. You mentioned the depth. I mean, obviously that's something that's been a problem throughout the Schmidt tenure. He's also not one to really use his bench. I'm curious to see if he does this year, if there's ever a time. I mean, he does have a very legit nine that he can go to this year, which he hasn't necessarily always had. This is a coach who is very much willing to ride the starters to their limit, and I think you'll see a real heavy reliance on, on particularly the backcourt trio of Adams, Woods, Banks, and Pride. And here's a team that had talent last year, and it did not come to fruition for them. As joining me on the show, we do have the one and only Kevin Sweeney. He does absolutely amazing work over at Sports Illustrated, taking a look at the game of college basketball, and I'm talking about Rhode Island. Your number one for Archie Miller just did not go the way that you wanted it to. Now, Archie Miller, a man that has had plenty of success in the Atlantic 10. We all know what he was able to do at Dayton, leading them to the Elite Eight many years ago. But now he's got a guy by the name of Ray Allen III, which I think that that's going to be very interesting. But on top of that, they bring in someone like Joseph Blau. He was someone that was a very highly touted junior college transfer, along with being over at Wichita State. I do like the fact that they bring in Jaden House, bucket getter from High Point, Zeke Montgomery, someone that comes in from the backcourt slash as a little bit of a wing player over at Bradley, Lewis Coatwright. He comes in from Quinnipiac. It's a new look team after last year. It just did not go their way. There was some issues with like Brayon Freeman buying into the program, what have you. It felt like there was a lot of internal things that happened with Rhode Island. And I think that some of them might still be lingering, but I do think that this is a new lease on life for Rhode Island and because of all the moving parts, 
I could see this being a team that struggles early, but is able to ascend late, especially with David Green from Louisiana Tech coming into the fold. This was, like you said, a disaster. I'm not sure there's anything that Archie is really able to take from year one, on the floor at least. Like, I think the hope when you're inheriting a rebuild, which is what he had to do, is like get a few pieces that you can build with and then continue that in year two. I'm really not sure what he came out of year one with, but I think he did a really good job this spring in the portal. You mentioned House and Montgomery. Those guys are starters. I think good players in the Atlantic 10. Another guy that they added this spring, Always Right, uh, incredible name, by the way, the junior college player who really stopped the stat sheet. I think it's a chance to be their starting point guard and have a really good year. I think I like where this backcourt is headed with Wright and House, Cam Estevez, who's a freshman who's really, really well regarded, and Courtright, as you mentioned, Quinnipiac, who is a thicker guard, but he's very talented, can play with the ball. I like this backcourt group. It's really up front. Like, what are they going to get from, you mentioned, like, Bilal, Tyson Brown from junior college, uh, Jeremy Fumeno was a guy that was pretty interesting out of high school, like a bigger kind of stretch big with a lot of talent. Like those are the pieces that determine whether URI gets out of the bottom five. And it's a big year to do that if you're Archie. But I do like some of the strides made, particularly in the backcourt with guys like Always Right and, and Jaden House. How can you ever go wrong with Always Right? <laughs> I do think that that is absolutely tremendous. And there is going to be a lot of jokes to be made on that front and. I do think that this team is of intrigue as well because with UMass, this program has been a turnstile over the last few seasons as they've lost a lot of guys in the transfer portal this offseason. They gained quite a few guys in the transfer portal during the offseason. Josh Cohen is really the big guy, six foot ten. He comes in from the NEC where he was averaging 22 points, just a complete crusher down low. That is tremendous for this team. But when it comes to UMass, you can tell that the injuries just really racked up for this team. Noah Fernandez not being able to be out there on the floor just completely destroyed them. Now he's moved on to other pastures. It feels like a team that's going to be building themselves up a little bit more down low with someone like a combo player, Matt Cross, still being with the program. But this is a completely fresh backcourt, really, aside from Rasul Diggins. And that's my biggest issue with UMass. I just don't know what you're going to be able to get out of the guards. They love to cycle bodies in and out. Right. And I, and I felt like at times it hindered them last year because I felt like Frank Martin just couldn't stick to a five. And part of that was they had, as you said, a ton of injuries. And I, I wouldn't wish that on anyone in terms of the amount of just like player availability stuff they had to deal with. But, you know, I felt like early in the year when they were playing well, even like we don't need 10 guys on the floor for 20 minutes. Let's optimize what we have. I think that hurt them. I think that's the Frank Martin probably needs to adjust. He's obviously done this a lot longer than I have. So take that with a grain of salt. But as I think it was a problem. I think in the backcourt, I really like some of their freshmen. Jalen Curry is going to be really good. Wouldn't surprise me if he's the best freshman in the Atlantic 10 next year. And then Robert Davis Jr. is a guy who can really score it on the wing. I think both guys are going to play a lot from day one. You mentioned Diggins. He'll have a role. Keon Thompson will have a role. Uh, but yeah, they're certainly young in the backcourt. Like Cohen, I think Cohen's going to give a lot back defensively, That, but, but he's going to be really good, I think, for them offensively. And I think it'll be beneficial for them to be able to play through the post. And I think play Cohen both as a four and as a five. I think they'll have some flexibility there. Um, Frank does like to play big, maybe hindered a little bit by the, the Wilden's Levesque departure here late. But, I mean, this is a guy who throughout his career has pretty consistently played two bigs. I think we'll see that, you know, continuing here this year. And this is a man that has experience playing a whole bunch of different styles as he's one of the oldest coaches in all of college basketball. I feel like he might be a tad bit over his head, and I'm talking about LaSalle and Frank Dumphy. Now, the good news for Dumphy is that he brings back Khalil Brantley, who was a statute sufferer for the team. 14 and a half points, nearly by five boards, four assists. He was able to take over a game. And then Anwar Gill, I think, is an underrated guy. That He doesn't do one thing great, but 
you know, and he's a Swiss Army knife. He gives you eight points. He gives you a few boards. He gives you a steal. He gives you a few assists. So I like that part of his game. And Deshaun Shepard, under the radar, played relatively well towards back half the season. But this team has really not been able to do a great job on the recruiting trail. They really don't bring in a lot by the transfer portal as well. I just feel like there's a glass ceiling with LaSalle. I feel like they're going to be able to avoid the total seller in the Atlantic 10, but I just find it hard for the team to be able to ascend unless if Khalil Brantley just goes into inferno mode on a night-in, night-out basis. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the fact that they won seven games last year with the roster that they had, seven in the Atlantic 10, that is, is like a pretty clear illustration of how good a coach Fran Dunphy is. I think we'll continue to maximize it. But as you said, like talent-wise, this is probably 14 or 15 out of 15 in this league. And they just don't have the resources. I mean, look, this is a program that, like, people make fun of Fordham and say, oh, Fordham's going to be the Patriot League, whatever. Like, LaSalle, like, there's nothing about LaSalle that screams Atlantic 10 when you, like, walk around and, like, you see the facilities and you see the, you know, the investment. I mean, there's just not a lot there. And I think that's certainly an impactful thing in NIL, right? Like when you're recruiting against teams in the Atlantic 10, a lot of A-10 teams did have some level of NIL support to, to help them finish the deal with transfers. I'm just not really sure what LaSalle has to offer on that front. And you know, they were certainly quiet in the portal. And I think the one kid to watch newcomer-wise is Tunde Fasasi. I might have mispronounced his name, but he comes in really highly touted overseas kid who I think has a chance to be really good for them. But that's going to have to be how they butter the bread international onto the radar high school kids this is not going to be okay we had a bad year we're going to flip it with four or five transfers like Loyola did I'm just, I, I just don't think it's realistic I don't think that it is either as we're being joined by Kevin Sweeney who does amazing work over at Sports Illustrated right here on Coast Coast Hoops taking a look at the Atlantic 10 and this team got devastated by a late transfer Tyler Burton was the heart and soul of Richmond last year 19 and a half points per contest no other player averaged more than 10 points per game he is out full they do bring in two guys I like. Jordan King, a double-figure scorer over at ETSU. Delani Hunt was a part of one of the better mid-major defenses at all of college basketball. He was at Wagner. They come into the fold. But losing Tyler Burton, in my opinion, is just absolutely brutal. They really don't have a lot to be able to replace him with. They lose Jason Nelson, who was a part of that backcourt as well. I am credit to Chris Mooney and the fact that he was able to win a game in the NCAA tournament two seasons ago. But... I mean, he had that roster for so many years. Once those guys departed, you could see last year it was Burton and nobody else. Now you've got Burton gone, and quite frankly, for Richmond, they're really going to need someone to step up because they don't have a lot of firepower, and in general, I think that this is a team that's going to struggle in the Atlantic 10. Yeah, I think they'll be near the bottom. I think they'll run a lot of offense through Neil Quinn up front. You know, experienced guy, bigger, can really pass. I think he'll have a good statistical year. You know, the Jordan King addition really helps them. I mean, he's a really good, tough shot maker. I know the percentages were tough, but ETSU just you know, didn't put a lot around him. The one thing I don't think anyone will question with Chris Mooney is like his ability to run good offense. Like they run really, really tough stuff to guard and get their shooters open shots. So if they had gotten Burton back, maybe there's a conversation here. But because they didn't, I mean, it's just, I think they'll be in the bottom three or so and it just really really use some of these young guys to step up this year to start setting a foundation because you're going to lose pieces you're going to lose Neil Quinn you're going to lose King like there needs to be a future plan here if, if you're not going to make a change at the helm you know guys like Colin Tanner are guys that I'm looking at and seeing how good are you this year and can you be a building block for us moving forward and this is going to be year number two for Chris Caputo and for George Washington last year the offense was pretty awesome for this team the defense was absolutely deplorable, so I am very intrigued to see what is going to be happening here because they've got James Bishop, a guy that's able to give you 20-plus points on any given night. 
he is both, in my opinion, the biggest asset and perhaps the biggest liability for the team. Because when you have an off night from our good friend and James Bishop, it can sometimes lead to doomsday. If he's on, this team becomes one that can compete with Darnie or anyone in all of college basketball. He has that much talent. But past that, I do like the fact that they bring in Antoine Smith via the transfer portal. That should be able to help them out quite a bit. You've also got Maximus Edwards. He was able to do a nice job towards back half of last season. But this team is completely gutted in the front court as well. This is just a team that I feel like they're going to be taken as far as James Bishop takes them. And, well, they're going to struggle as much as James Bishop struggles as well. Yeah, a lot on Bishop, no doubt. I mean, he's a really dynamic player. I do actually like a lot of the rest of the backcourt. Like, I like Maximus Edwards. I think Benny Schroeder, who was a really highly rated European prospect, didn't really get a lot of run at Oklahoma. That's like an interesting gamble. And then two freshman guards as well, Ja'Koy Hutchinson and, and Trey Autry. Trey Autry's actually read Autry, the new head coach of Syracuse Sun, was really good for the City Rocks. EYBL circuit, Hutchinson was a pretty good recruit, DMV kid, really important for them to keep in the region. Like, I think they've done a nice job in the backcourt. It's just, this is probably the worst front court situation in the league. You know, roll the dice with DJ Buchanan. Probably is more of a four, but maybe some small ball five looks. He was a another good recruit in the DMV, went to Virginia Tech, didn't get a lot of run. I think he actually redshirted. I mean, yeah, they are in concern time in terms of their front court. If the defense was bad last year when you had Hunter Dean and Ricky Lindo, I don't know how it's going to be this year when you lose both those guys up front. I do think that that's a big issue for the team. I don't think that there's any question that they're going to be able to score points, but this is a team that might be staring at giving up 80-plus this year as well. So that should be a lot of fun to take a look at those games. And this is going to be a fascinating team because, I mean, there is just absolutely nothing left over from last year. Tony Skin, who you may remember from being a part of that 2006 George Mason team that made the Final Four, he's the guy that had the, shall we say, cheap shot that very nearly kept George Mason out of the NCAA tournament that year. He is now the head coach of this program, and... As we know, with the uh, coaching change, with Kim English going over to the Biggies, Kim English took a lot of guys that were on the roster last year. So this has been a makeshift job of being able to bring in guys. They do return one guy in Ronald Polite, who's a nice little statue suffer for the scene, but they bring in Sienna, double-figure scorer, and Jared Billups, Woody New. He's a solid scorer that comes in from Oklahoma State, just didn't get a ton of run there. He comes in. I really like the addition of Darius Maddox from Virginia Tech, so – I mean, there is some talent on the roster, but I've got a question how the chemistry is going to be coming together. And I feel like year one for Tony's skin is just going to be laying the foundation before this team really ascends in year two and beyond. I mean, I thought he did a really good job. It's very challenging when you're one of the carousel moves to three, four pieces down the line, right? Like it took Georgetown hiring Cooley for Providence to hire Kim for George Mason to then hire Tony skin. And that wasn't really done until around the final four. That is not late, but it's certainly not early in the portal. And I think they did a really good job, given how much they lost, of filling it with talented guys. I mean, Maddox is a guy that – a high-level shooter at Virginia Tech, guy we need to see in a role where, you know, maybe he has the ball in his hands more at Virginia Tech. It's a lot of running off screens, a lot of pin-down action, mostly off-ball stuff. I think we'll see him potentially handle the ball next to Polite a lot more. And then kind of the great lottery ticket is Keyshawn Hall, who was recruited pretty highly – in the portal, despite, you know, not putting up huge numbers at UNLV, like a big body wing who could play make a little bit, get downhill. I mean, he's a really interesting player and also has multiple years, which is really valuable if you're, if you're Tony Skin. One thing to watch with them will be a waiver for Jalen Haynes. They just took from East Tennessee State, skilled big guy, can throw his body around 
but he's a two-time transfer, a non-grad. So that'll be one to watch. If not, they'll have to go to Amari Kelly, potentially the front court, also Malik Henry, a holdover, who I've always been kind of high on, quite frankly. Never quite broke through, but I've always been a Malik Henry fan. Malik Henry, I do think, has some upside, and I really like the fact that they brought in Darius Maddox as well. He's going to be rock solid, but have to wonder if this is going to be one of those teams that struggles early and then is able to ascend late as they build a little bit more chemistry as well as joining me on the show. We do have Kevin Sweeney, who does amazing work over at Sports Illustrated. We talk about George Mason being a makeshift team, a team that is full of moving parts. Well, this team is as well, because with VCU, they lose coach Mike Rhodes over to Penn State. But they bring in Ryan Odom, and Ryan Odom was able to do a terrific job over at Utah State. And you know what? He got a few pieces to follow him over from Utah State as well. Sean Bearsell is coming in. He's a good sharpshooter. That's able to give you a double-figure amount of points per game. Melk Shoga is able to light it up from three-point range. Joe Besmeal is someone that has put up double figures within this conference as well. They bring in Kune Kune from Cal. Roosevelt Wheeler comes in from Louisville. Lots of moving pieces. Jason Nelson comes in from Richmond. This is no doubt a makeshift team. And with VCU, you, I would say don't expect them to be generating as many turnovers as they did under Mike Rhodes. But I like Ryan Odom as a coach. I think it might take him a year or two, and this could be another one of those teams that they struggle early and they ascend late as chemistry builds. But I think they've done a good job of building a roster. Question is, when will these guys click? Certainly high on Odom. You know, his track record, his ability to win in multiple ways with multiple types of kids, I think that's something that really will serve him well. And I think he will. And you've seen it already with recruiting guys like Roosevelt Wheeler and Bama Seal and guys like that. Like, they're not going to recruit like all skill the way you do at Utah State. Those types of players you can get at Utah State, that's who you recruit. BCU, you traditionally have recruited like inner city tough kids you want to defend. They kind of have a nice balance here. So it, it'll be interesting. I think there's a lot of talent here. I'm relatively down on Jason Nelson. I know there's been a lot of excitement about him coming over. It's obviously a rivalry deal, but like I was never a huge fan at Richmond, quite frankly. And, and so that probably turns me off a little bit because I have him penciled in as like the starting point guard for this team. And then obviously we're waiting on a Bama Seal waiver, who is, I believe, a third time transfer, non-grad, began his career at Virginia Tech, then George Washington, then Oklahoma, now VCU, and still has not graduated. So kind of unclear what, what Bama Seal status will be, but if he if he's able to play, that would obviously be a boon given his ability to get downhill. One only other guy I would mention is Michael Bell, who's like a really, really highly regarded European prospect who was also recruited by Dayton in this league, um, like a big wing who can kind of do it all. He's a guy that... Is one of those X factors I'm watching. If I turn him on the first game of the year and he looks really good, probably pretty drastically changed my outlook for this team. With VCU, lots of moving parts. There's a lot of upside with this team. But at the same time, the big question becomes, will everything click? I do think that things are going to be able to click with this team. And I know that we've talked about it with quite a few of these teams in the Atlantic 10. Injuries really robbed them. I feel like you're really able to make that case with Dayton. Dayton had a lot of injuries that really robbed them last season, particularly in the backcourt. And there are a few guys that are out of the fold. Tamani Kamara, I think, is a guy that you're going to see get drafted in the late second round within the next few days. Mongolian Mike is out of the fold. But Deron Holmes coming back after he averaged 18 and a half points, eight boards, was able to pop a few threes, was nice. Now you're going to have a full year for guys like Malachi Smith and company in the backcourt. For me, I think that Dayton should be the top team in this conference. Losing Tamani Kamara is rough. Mustafa Amzil moves on as well. But Daron Holmes, I think, has a very good possibility of being the player of the year in this conference. And having an actually healthy backcourt, big for Dayton. I mean, Dayton was never that far away last year. I mean, if you look through, like, they lost to UNLV by 8, Wisconsin by 1, NC State by 12 in a game that was closer than that, BYU by 4 in overtime, right? Like, 
for the most part, like, I mean, you flip a couple of results a different year. It's not to say that they met expectations. They didn't. They, they should have been better. And losing to Barr is a huge deal. But this team is still talented. Holmes is really good. Smith being healthy is a big deal. Kobe Elvis being potentially healthy is a big deal. Like, those three guys is a really, really strong nucleus, probably the best nucleus in the Atlantic 10. The four spot is a bit of a question mark. Really, the wings. I mean, like, they brought in Nate Santos from Pitt. He's like a stretch guy. I'm not a huge Nate Santos fan. Marvell Allen, could they play smaller and play three guards? I mean, that's a possibility. He was a guy who was at one point kind of in the five-star conversation, fell back outside the top 100 in his senior year. They're small, really outside of Holmes, unless some of these guys step up. That'd be my main concern. But I think there's enough here where you feel pretty good about Dayton being a top top three team in the league, if nothing else. They've got a good possibility of just being able to run shop in this conference. I do feel like injuries really robbed them towards back half the season last year, but I do think that this is going to be a team that is going to be back with a vengeance, and you always come on to this show, and you're always back with a vengeance as well, my friend. Kevin, you do such an incredible job taking a look at the game of college basketball. We just ran through all 15 Atlantic 10 teams. You're so well-versed with really the landscape of college basketball. So love to get people at home, know what's all on tap for you, and how people are able to follow along on social media and other platforms. Well, I appreciate it, Greg. Lots to work on here over the summer, heading into draft week. Then I'll be off recruiting at the at Peach Jam and off the summer league after that. So it, it never slows down. Appreciate you checking out our work over at SportsIllustratedSI.com, as well as obviously the Field of 68 um, at the Field of 68 on Twitter. So appreciate it, Greg. Appreciate you, Kevin. Kevin, one of the best in the industry of just taking a look at this great game that we all know and love. And every single time he joins this podcast, lends tremendous insight. So a big thanks to Kevin for joining me on Cusco Soups. Now part of the Visa family and podcast are coming next. It is that time of the podcast. I give you my projector or finish for the Atlantic 10. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at pet 365 21 plus only must be present in ohio if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help call 1-800-GAMBLER 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. And we're back here in Lobby Las Vegas for Dusty Guess with myself, Greg Hoops Peterson. Now, part of the Visa Family Podcast. Was well, tremendous to be able to get our good friend Kevin Sweeney aboard. He does amazing work over at Sports Illustrated, taking a look at the game that we all know and love every single time he joins this podcast. Runs absolutely amazing insights, much like he did today. So, big thanks to Kevin for joining me on Coast Coast Hoops. Now, part of the Visa Family Podcast. Now, it is that time of the podcast. I give you my projector or finish. For the Atlantic 10, as I said in the first segment, because I am doing a conference preview today, that means that for those of you guys that listen in for the news and notes of college basketball, anything that I miss from Friday, that is going to be sewn up on the podcast tomorrow. That is unless if I do the America East preview edition on this podcast tomorrow, because that might be done tomorrow. That might be done 48 hours from now and. Well, when it comes to these conference previews with all the news and notes, I just sum those up the next day. So we're going to have you guys covered anything that I missed on the podcast from Friday. That is going to be summed up either tomorrow or two days from now. So we've got that on the horizon, and we've got on the horizon dead last in my projector or finish for the LA 10 being Rhode Island. Just not a good situation for Rhode Island. Archie Miller did a tremendous job when he was at Dayton, but we saw how big of a flopper he was at Indiana. They do bring in a guy that I like, David Green. He was rock solid when he was at Louisiana Tech a season ago. You've got Jusoff Blau was able to give you a little bit down low as well, but I do have my question marks when it comes to the backcourt. And I do think that you've got performers on this team like Zeke Montgomery was a guy that saw some relatively solid minutes when he was over at Bradley. He was able to put up there right around 8 points per contest. Someone's able to shoot 42% from 3-point range, but I'm really just off-put by this team because you've got a whole bunch of moving parts. As it was said by Kevin Sweeney, there's really nothing that you can take from season number one. So, I mean, this is pretty much rock bottom for this team. They are trying to pretty much rebuild on the fly. They bring in Jaden House, who was a nice scorer over at a high point, was able to put up 17 points per game, but I don't really know who's going to be running the offense. You've got to think that it's going to be Lewis Coltwright, who 
He comes in after he was at Quinnipiac, right around four assists, ten and a half points per game, but now he has to be a little bit of a up transfer. He wasn't even necessarily starting a lot of games when he was at Quinnipiac as well. I've got a lot of question marks, and I mean, with this Rhode Island team, would it shock me if they're like in the middle of the conference? No, because there is honestly some talent when it comes to this team, but with what happened last year, the chemistry, just failures of this bunch, I do have massive question marks with them, so... With Rhode Island, I'm going to be putting them dead last in terms of my projector or finish. Richmond is not too far above that. At number 14, I do have the Itsy Bitsy Spiders. The reason why I do have Richmond just barely edging out Rhode Island is that I like what they've been able to add in the transfer portal late. You do bring in someone in Jordan King who's been inconsistent with his three-point shooting. Two years ago, shot over 40% from three-point range. Last year, that was closer to about 30% from three-point range. But when he was at ETSU, a bad shot for him was better than a good shot for other guys. And he's someone that is able to give you a double-figure amount of points. And I do think that Delani Hunt is going to be a little bit of an under-the-radar guy. He was over at Wagner this last season. Not a guy that is going to be putting in there like 15-plus points per game or anything like that. But he was a part of a really good defense over there at Wagner. Was able to give the team a 11 points, just under three assists per contest. Not a great three-point shooter, but is able to give you a steal or two per game. And the big thing for Richmond is that they did hang on to a lot of their guys that weren't named Tyler Burton. And I do think that seven-footer Neil Quinn is one of the more versatile players that you're going to find in this conference. He's a seven-footer that came in from the Patriot League. Nine and a half points, three assists, four and a half rebounds. He's able to do a lot of good things for this team. Now, I do think that depth is going to be a little bit lackluster when it comes to this team. They did lose, like I said, Tyler Burton. Heart and soul of this team, 19 points. He was able to shoot only about 30% for three. But once again, bad shot for him was better than a good shot for so many other guys. The loss of Jason Nelson, I do think is going to be hurting this team. But bringing in those two big cogs in the backcourt, I do think is going to be helpful for Richmond. Just avoiding the seller in general. And once again, I will reiterate, with how tightly knit this conference is, if Richmond is able to rise up to the middle of this conference, I would not necessarily be overly surprised. So here at number 14 in my projector or finish, I'm going to be going with the Itsy Bitsy Spiders of Richmond. At number 13, I am going to be going with Davidson. With Davidson, you do have a guy that I like in David Skogman. Skogman was able to give the team right around eight points per contest. Guy with size that he's not going to like pop a lot of threes or anything like that, but he does have a little bit of range at the same time. You've got to have a lot of question marks when it comes to the changing of the guard from Bob McKillop to Matt McKillop because it just didn't work out and now you lose your top two scores in Sam Menenga along Foster Lawyer. A combined 31.5 points per contest out of these two guys. You had Lawyer be able to dole out 4.5 assists per game. Angelo Breezy comes in for Villanova. He was the number 165 recruit in the class of 2021, according to 247 Sports. He's able to give you some steals, but I question the overall scoring. And Jarvis Moss is someone that comes in from Sanford. Once again, a guy that played sparingly. I do think that he's got a little bit of upside, but at least Grant Huffman is pretty much the only guy that averaged more than an assistant after contest last season that is returning. So you've got your issues there with Davidson. I do think that they are going to be struggling very much so on the glass this year. So that is something that's going to be a little bit of a kryptonite, but I do think that they are going to have a little bit of something coming in with Brizzy, and I do think that he is going to be that guy that can be a little bit more of a trigger, man. I am maybe a little bit more bullish on the chemistry of Davidson than I should be, but I'm willing to put them number 13 in terms of my projector or finish. I do think that they avoid the total seller. At number 12, I am going to be going with LaSalle. I and mean, it was mentioned by Kevin Sweeney, LaSalle, Probably dead last in the conference if you take a look at overall talent, but Fran Dunphy is a heck of a coach, and he brings back Jamari Brakus. 
Brinkus was able to do a very solid job of being able to give this team some nice scoring and was really a good number two option to Khalil Brantley. Brantley is able to take over a game. 14.5 points, 4.5 boards, 4 assists per contest. He is Mr. Do-It-All for this team. And then you've got Anwar Gill. He's not a guy that is going to necessarily do one thing great, but he's going to give you those like 8 points, 4 boards, 3 assists, a steal or 2 per contest. And Deshaun Shepard was able to come on towards the back half of the season as well. I'm surprised that not more people are talking about him. Is he a guy that's going to light it up from 3-point range? No, but I take a look at what he was able to do towards the back half of the season. From January 21st on, this was someone that was seeing some meaningful minutes. He was able to give the team 7.5 points, 6 boards per contest. I figure that he's going to be playing a little bit more of a role. It clearly did not work out with the Drame brothers. They move on, and I don't think that that's necessarily the world's worst thing for the team. Brick is getting back to him. He was able to dole out 3 assists per contest as well now. This team did a big giant nothing burger in the transfer portal. That is not going to necessarily be helping them out too much, but at the same time, they do return quite a few of their guys from last year. It's not like they're losing critical pieces that were instrumental in them being able to get seven, eight, ten wins last year. As Kevin said, the fact that this roster was able to get seven wins in the Atlantic 10 was honestly a very good for them, and I think that there's a chance that they're able to duplicate that. So, at number 11, in terms of my projector or finish, I'm going to be willing to go with our good friends, the LaSalle Explorers, exploring a few wins. At number 11, I am going to be going with the UMass Minutemen, For UMass, it's just been really tough for them to be able to find any chemistry whatsoever because they've had to utilize very many moving parts over the last few seasons. They hit the transfer portal once again very hard this offseason. And when it came down to just staying out there on the court last year, they were unable to do so. The injuries to guys like Noah Fernandes along with RJ Luis and company just completely killed them. They are going to be bringing back Matt Cross, someone who's Got some good versatility. He's able to give you some boards. He's able to pop some threes. And Josh Cohn was someone that, while he was at St. Francis of Pennsylvania, put in there right around 22 points per game. But it's a backcourt that's the main concern because guys like Fernandez and company being out of the fold, that's just absolutely killer. You do bring back someone in Rasul Diggins, a former top 150 recruit, but we just don't know how effective he's going to be in general. They brought in a lot of guys this offseason after losing a whole bunch as well. I do think that someone like a Donnell Hankins Sanford coming in from South Carolina. Going to be able to help out a little bit down low, but Wildens Levique, he was going to be relied upon as being a nice, hard-nosed defender, which was going to be the forte for this team. Him being out is big. You need someone like a Keon Thompson to be able to step up in the backcourt as well. After last year, he was able to do a solid job doling out a few assists, but this team really lacks a lot of three-point shooting as well. I think this team is going to play hard. They've got a guy that has been to a Final Four before in Mr. Frank Martin, so he knows what the heck he's doing as a coach, but this is going to be an uphill battle. As a result, I've got UMass, number 11 in terms of my projector or finish. And number 10, I'm going to be going with St. Louis. With St. Louis, I mean, my goodness, talk about one of the most underachieving teams in college basketball last year. Now, you bring back Gibson Jimerson, who I believe that if he was in a system that really complimented him, he'd be a 40-plus percent three-point shooter. But it just turned into a situation where a bad shot for him is better than a good shot for so many other guys. You really need Sincere Parker to be able to step up for the CMS. Sincere Parker, when he was at the junior college level, this guy was absolutely awesome. Just has had a little bit of a tough time staying out there on the floor in general. And 
just has been a little bit ineffective. Now, part of that is because he was in the shadow of a lot of those very good guards that were over at St. Louis as well, but you're going to really need him to be able to pick it up after he had just six points per contest a season ago. Terrence Hargrove Jr. is also going to be massive for this team. A guy that at six foot four is sort of built like a bowling ball sort of wing player who's able to give you about six points per contest as well, but Hargrove, not necessarily a guy that's going to light it up from three-point range himself. You do lose your main rebounder in Francis Okoro as well. So that leaves a lot of question marks with the team. A bunch of, they just didn't do a lot in the transfer portal with St. Louis. They really were clinging on to some of those guys like Javante Perkins and company. And you feel bad for St. Louis because I remember they were dealing with a death with one of their assistant coaches. They were probably hit worse by COVID than darn near any other team in all of college basketball a few seasons ago. Just completely derailed a team that I felt like during that 2021 NCAA tournament, if it weren't for all the mitigating circumstances, I think is the best way of putting it, they had a chance to be able to make a little bit of a run. It just went straight down the toilet bowl from there. And now it's a case where you got Travis Ford really fighting for his job. They are probably going to get a little bit of something out of Tim Dalger, who comes in from Tulsa. He was able to give the team about 10 points per contest. Bradley Evazero comes in from Georgetown. Uh, seldom used forward, but it's someone that is going to be able to give you a little bit of size. But, man, it's rough for the team. By the way, they do have Larry Hughes Jr. on the roster. That's a famous name. But I just feel like when Gibson Jimerson is about all you've got, it's a little bit rough there. So I do have St. Louis number 10 in terms of I project or a finish. At number 9, I'm going to be going with George Washington. I was talking about this with our good friend Kevin Sweeney. George Washington is going to put up points. And this team has a guy by the name of James Bishop IV. And boy, oh boy, this is someone that has a chance to be like the Antoine Davis of last year. This guy was a bucket getter. He was able to put up 21.7 points per contest. A little bit over 5 assists per game. But it's a little bit concerning when you're putting up 21. 1.6 points per game and you're shooting under 30% from three-point range. He was jacking up the shots, to say the least, and you're going to need just a little bit more around him, and you do have Maximus Edwards, and Edwards is going to be able to take the pressure off a little bit. Now, the fact that they do lose some of those other ancillary pieces as well, like Brendan Adams is out of the fold. They no longer have Ricky Lindo, Hunter Dean. That is going to be hurting them, but at the same time, Edwards, he was able to give the team six half rebounds per game. He's going to be able to help down low, but you just need a little bit more size in general with this George Washington team. This team really doesn't have a lot when it comes to the front court. I really do like what they're able to get in the backcourt, but this is going to be a team that's built around one player as much as any team in this entire conference. This team really comes and goes with James Bishop. Bishop is going to have some clunkers, and there's going to be a few games this year, in my opinion, that George Washington probably pulls out because even though they're out gun, you just have James Bishop feeling it that day. He decides to go like 10 of 15 from three-point range or something like that, and George Washington is able to get into a win. So I do think that this is a George Washington team that they are going to be able to avoid the seller just because they do have one of the more gifted scorers, not just in this conference, but in all of college basketball. So at number nine, in terms of my projector or finish, I'm going to be going with George Washington. At number eight, I am going to be going with St. Joe's. With St. Joseph's, I do question the depth of this team. With St. Joseph's, as we were alluding to with our good friend Kevin Sweeney, this bunch does have a very experienced and a very solid backcourt. And you got to like what Lynn Greer was able to do, doling out a little bit over four assists per contest. And the best thing about St. Joe's was that they were able to ascend towards back half of the season. It was a team that was a little bit sorry towards the beginning part of the season. As the season went along, they were able to get better and better. You've got to love what was provided by someone like an Eric Reynolds. 
Good stat sheet stuffer. 19.5 points, 3 boards, 2.5 assists per contest. Even someone like a Cameron Brown last year was able to give you 6 rebounds per game. I do have big time question marks when it comes to what you're going to be able to get down low. And this was a team that they really couldn't pivot and they couldn't give you too many different looks. So I do think that that is going to be a little bit of an issue for this bunch of Bijake Obiana. He was someone that was dealing with a whole bunch of ailments last season. And you could tell that things just tapered off for him towards the back half of the season as well. So you do have a little bit of concern on that front as well. But to the credit of this bunch as well, they really didn't lose a ton via the transfer portal, which that's just more than what can be said for a lot of these schools in the conference. So being able to maintain a lot of chemistry, especially in that backcourt, does have me feeling a little bit lukewarm on St. Joe's. I'm not as bullish on them as many, but I do think that St. Joe's has a chance to be able to take some more strides forward. So in terms of my projector or finish, I've got them over at number eight. And number seven, I'm going to be willing to go with George Mason. With George Mason, this is a completely makeshift team. You do return Ronald Polite, who was able to give you a few assists, was a halfway decent scorer, but let's call it what it is. This is a completely makeshift team, and you've got Tony Skin, who he absolutely lives and dies for this university, a man that was a part of that Final Four team that George Mason had many, many years ago, and bringing in Darius Maddox, I think, is just absolutely massive for this team. Got banged up towards back half of the season last year for Virginia Tech, but you're bringing in a guy that was a starter at the ACC level last year. That is a big deal for this team, as he was able to put up right in the pocket about 8.5 points per contest. Wasn't a supreme three-point shooter, but I do think that here in the Atlantic 10, he should be able to ascend a little bit more after he shot 50% from three-point range two seasons ago. On top of that, they did a very good job of being able to shore things up with bringing in some like a Jared Billups. He was over at Siena. He's able to give you five boards. He's able to give you 10 points per game. Woody Newton is someone that's six foot nine, has good versatility. Wasn't able to see a whole bunch of minutes when he was playing over at Oklahoma State, but he did see some occasional starts. So I do think that there's a nice upside with him as well. I also do think that being able to have someone down low and Nicholas Pravate is going to be big as well. He comes in from Central Michigan. Central Michigan was just a complete and under mess, but I do think that this is someone that could be able to pound the boards. Is he A-10 level in terms of just being able to man things down low? No, but when you're able to play off of someone like an Amari Kelly that comes in from UNC Wilmington, that is going to work out as well. I know that Malik Henry is someone that our good friend Kevin Sweeney is bullish on. I am as well. So all in all, I do think that this bunch has a lot of upside. I do think that it's going to take George Mason a little bit to be able to get things all straightened out, but this has the potential to be one of the better backcourts in the Atlantic 10. So I'm going to address in George Mason and put them number seven in terms of my projected order finish. And number six, I'm going to be going with Loyola of Chicago. With Loyola of Chicago, this was a no good, very bad, terrible year for them last season, but I do think that they are going to be able to ascend this season, bringing in someone like a Dame Edelkuhn from Dartmouth is going to be massive for the little Chicago team. That The biggest thing with them, they just need to cut down on the turnovers because with Loyal Chicago, they did improve towards back half of the season once they just stopped turning the ball over left and right. That was really their biggest kryptonite. When they just gave away the ball, they were not able to do anything whatsoever. But Philip Olsen is the guy that's able to fill it up. Shot 40% from three-point range last season. Was able to chip in there. 14.5 points per game. He's able to give you a block. He's able to give you 5.5 rebounds per game. So there's great versatility there. Patrick Mwamba is someone that comes in after he was able to have a nice season at Oral Roberts at six foot seven. is able to give you rebounds, is able to pop it from three-point range. The big key is 
Braden Norris, he did have too many turnovers, but he was able to give the team four assists. Shot 36% from three-point range last season. Greg Dolan, this guy was absolutely terrific when he was at Cornell. He is going to need to shape up on defense a little bit. And ever since Porter Mosier did add on over to Oklahoma, it has been a little bit of a lackluster effort for Loyola Chicago on the defensive side of things. But I do think that Dolan is going to be able to buy in some of that last year. Average 13 points, 3.5 boards, 3.5 assists. Shot 42.5% from three-point range on volume. I like what he's able to provide. Ben Schweiger is in the fold for the team as well. So, all in all, I do think that Loyal Chicago, they're going to be able to return a little bit to prominence. I do think that they might struggle a little bit on the boards, but I do think that Loyal Chicago, they rise up once again. And a conference set in general, I will say it, it's not to be mean, but it is very much a down conference. And I do think that Loyal Chicago is going to be able to bounce back this season. I do have them number six in terms of my projector or finish. And number five, I'm going to be going for them. The biggest issue that you do have with Fordham is that they lose their top two scorers from ACs ago. Darius Quinsberry and also Khalid Moore were averaging a combined about 32.5 points per contest. Trying to replace them is no easy feat, but you've got Abdul Sambilia, who was a very good for the team last season. As he was able to do a nice job being able to give the team right in that pocket of about six boards and two blocks per contest for a team that was in the top 20 nationally in terms of percentage of shots that they saw on defense that they were able to block. This team was absolutely tremendous on that front on defense. Joseph Metter, he comes in from UT San Antonio. Meet me for the Roadrunners. 13.5 points, 3.5 boards, 3.8 assists, 1.5 steals per game. Josh Rivera is someone that's a little bit under the radar as well. In the final back half of the season, right around 15 or so games, Average 15 points, 6.5 boards, 2 assists, on north of 41% 3-point shooting. He was terrific towards back half of the campaign. Kyle Rose is able to give you about 7.5 points per game. There is a lot to replace in terms of being able to dole out the ball, so that is going to be hurting them. But I do think that matter is going to do an okay job of being able to dish around the ball. I don't think you're going to see a duplication of this team being able to win 25 wins or anything like that. But I do think that Fordham... Going to be rock solid once again this season. I've got them number five in terms of my projector or finish. And number four, we are going to be going with VCU. And with VCU, this is a completed under makeshift team because, well, they lose darn near everything from last year. But Ryan Odom, he did a very solid job being able to bring with him a pair of guys that I think are going to be able to light it up for him. As you've got Max Shulga that comes in. He was a very good sharpshooter that was able to edge fridge a double figure amount of points per game over at Utah State. And then we also bring in Sean Bearsow. Bearsow is another nice guard that's able to pop it from three-point range. They know the system. This is not going to be your VCU team that was playing the Havoc style of defense that was able to generate 100 million billion steals per game. If you saw what Utah State was doing last season, I expect them to really try to duplicate that here this year. But on top of that, you're bringing someone like a Roosevelt Wheeler to be able to give you some rebounds. I mean, I know that Louisville had an absolutely terrible year, but this is a former top 150 guy. Jason Nelson, who was able to average 8.5 points per game from within the conference at Richmond, he comes into the fold as well. Joe Besmele, he is someone that, when he was in the conference a few seasons ago, was able to be an absolutely tremendous contributor. Last year, he just could not find his footing whatsoever when he was over at Oklahoma, but this is someone that two seasons ago, when he was playing at... George Washington put in their 16 points per contest, shot 35% from 
from three-point range. I do think that there's a lot of upside there. I do think that Mr. Odom is one of the better coaches that you're going to find in all of college basketball. I do think that he's going to have VCU firing all cylinders once again. I do think that it is going to be a rock-solid year for them. So I do have VCU number four in terms of my projector or finish. And number three, I'm going with Duquesne. Duquesne was 44th in the country in terms of three-point shooting last season. They are a team that lives and dies by the three a little bit, but Day Grant, he returns. Shot over 40% from three, 15 and a half points, four and a half boards, two and a half assists, a little bit of a sad cheat suffer. Now, the question that you're going to have with this team is down low, but Andre Sarvasov, he was terrific. 14 points, seven boards, 1.3 seals per contest while he was at Georgia Southern. As versatility, he's able to shoot 36% from three. The Drame brothers didn't necessarily work out at LaSalle, but when they were at St. Peter's, when they made that Elite Eight run, they were instrumental parts of that team. 15 points, nine and a half boards, two seals per contest for them last season. They were averaging a few more rebounds when they were on that St. Peter's team, so I think that they're going to be looking to try to duplicate that. And then Dusan Marosic, he comes in from NC State, as it was alluded to by Kevin Sweeney, a guy that he has had no shortage of schools that he's went to, but when he was at NC State, it was a small sample size. He got injured after 10 games, but he was averaging 8.5 points and 6 rebounds per game as a starter at the ACC level. So that should be able to elevate this team. I do like the way that Duquesne has been able to build themselves up. Keith Dambrot really brought this team back from, well, being on the verge of canning him as a coach. And I do think that this is going to be another step in the right direction for Duquesne. I got them number three in terms of my projector or finish. And number two, I am going to be going with St. Bonaventure. St. Bonaventure, I feel like, has had a tremendous offseason. I mean, you bring in Charles Pride, who's able to average 15-plus points per contest. I recognize that that was at Bryant. That might taper off a little bit here in the conference, but with Pride, he's able to do a solid job, but be able to give you some rebounds as well. He's a good, versatile player. Micah Adams-Woods last year was over at Cincinnati, being able to give the team 9 points per contest, shot 36.5% from 3. He's able to dole out the ball. He's able to give you about 3 assists per contest. That is big, and just being able to take a little bit of the pressure off of Kyrell Luch, who he came in from Holy Cross, and he did an admirable job last season for St. Bonaventure. 11.5 points, 4.3 assists, 1.7 steals per contest, but you tell that he did have to do it a little bit by himself last season because there wasn't a lot of depth with St. Bonaventure, and it was alluded to by Kevin Sweeney. Mr. Schmidt is not someone that is typically going to be playing like 9 to 10 deep, but he certainly didn't want to have to go as shallow with his depth as he did last season. Now he's got more pieces to be able to utilize. Some like Chad Venning was a very good guy that was able to pop last season. 12.5 points, 5.5 boards, a little bit over a block per contest. You got really good versatility out of Jan Farrell, who shot 42% for three. As a 6-6, six six, a little bit of a combo player that was able to register 9 points, 6 rebounds per contest. On top of that, you're bringing Noel Brown. He wasn't a massive contributor at George Washington, but that gives this team another little bit of a piece down low. Really like the fact that St. Paul Adventure now some depth. They've got more chemistry after they lost 99.9% of their scoring last offseason. This offseason, completely different story. I have all the faith in the world that Dr. Schmidt being able to restore the pride of St. Bonaventure. I've got them number two in terms of my projector or finish, but at number one, going to be going with Dayton. The Flyers last year were 352nd in the country in terms of total possessions per game. You know that they're going to be playing super slow, but despite all those nasty injuries that they had, they were still 22nd in the country. Turns points allowed on a per possession basis. Kobe Elvis, Malachi Smith. They missed 15 games apiece last season. And Smith, he was 17th among qualifying D1 players in terms of assists per game. 7.5 points, 5.6 assists. 
1.2 steals per game. If needed, he can be a little bit more of a scorer as well. Shot over 38% from three-point range. Elvis, he was able to give you three assists, eight and a half points per contest. And the big key for this team, Jerron Holmes is back in the fold. 18 and a half points, eight boards, two blocks. He's able to pop some threes. Kobe Brea, he's able to shoot about 37% from three-point range. They don't add a ton via the portal, but Enoch Cheeks, He's about as versatile as it gets. He was playing last season over at good old Bobby Morris. 15.5 points, 4.5 boards, 3.5 assists, 1.8 steals, 1.3 blocks. He is a Dayton guy. Isaac Jack is going to be able to help them out a little bit down low. Javon Bennett, he was leading the country with 2.9 steals per game. This is going to be a Dayton team that's going to get up in your chops. They're going to be playing some defense, losing someone like a Mongolian Mike. Yeah, that does hurt them a little bit along to Monty Kamara, but I think that Dayton is going to be one of the most rough and tumble defenses in all of college basketball. That is going to lead them to being kings of the Atlantic 10. I've got Dayton number one in terms of my projector or finish, and that will wrap things up for the Atlantic 10 preview edition of Coast to Coast Hoops, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. A big thanks to Kevin Sweeney. Does amazing work over at Sports Illustrated. He joined me in the last segment breaking down all these scenes. If you do like preparing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Hoops, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Citra, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, whatever you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to throw those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GNN underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters DM. They mean does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Otherwise, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you are able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Find that five star review. Conference preview season is here. They are coming fast. They are coming heavy. So, be on the lookout for that. I will be with you guys every single day on this podcast here in the offseason looking at the news and notes of college basketball. A couple with these conference previews. And then once we get in season, picks and analysis on every single game every single day. So I will chat at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.